Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Hope Church family. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. I've been reminding you over the last couple weeks, we want us to bring our Bibles to Hope Church. It's a great place to bring your Bible. Want to have it open on your app or right there physically on your lap. We're going to be interacting with it for the next 35, 40 minutes or so. Want to have our eyes on the Word of God. As you turn there, uh, excited to jump back into Mark in just a moment. We, uh, we've been studying, if you're new, verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. We start chapter 5 today, so we are making our way through slowly but surely. And we're going to jump in and read a big portion of Scripture here in just a moment. But as we get started this morning, I, I believe you can agree with me. We live in a really, really connected world. In fact, it is the most connected our world has ever been in the history of mankind. It's pretty amazing to think of how connected we are. Somebody right now could tweet something out, and if you had the platform or the influence, it could go around the world and be picked up by news stations and other entities all around the globe in seconds. And I am not a hater of technology. If you know me, I love technology. There are so many benefits of the technological world that we live in. But one of the inverse sides of this amazing tool that we have is the fact that as fast as good news can spread, bad news can spread. In fact, things happen all around the world every single day that if you're like me, you feel like you can't even keep up with all the bad news in the world. Something that used to take days or weeks to to receive bad news when you were at a certain place in the world, you would have to actually have it physically told to you or newspaper that would be printed days at a time, not moments at a time. And we now live in a world where we can just get bad news every single time we open up Instagram, every single time we turn on the news. And we are constantly bombarded with bad news. And if I could admit to you today, the truth of my life is, is I have a hard time keeping up. In fact, not only do I have a hard time keeping up, and this is really honest, I have a hard time caring about all of it. Like right when I want to grieve or have empathy on something, I turn around and the news stations have moved on and now there's something else to grieve and feel sorry about or feel sad about. In fact, psychologists have actually come up with a term to describe what I feel and maybe you feel. Psychologists call it compassion fatigue. Literally, you and I, we live in such a world where we're hearing all bad news all the time that we actually are tired of feeling bad. We can't even process all the things we're feeling. It's like as soon as we start to dive in and start to process some traumatic thing, disaster or injustice or, or, or earthquake or something that happened around the world, another thing happens. And it's like, I can't even sit in it. And yet I know it's real. I might not be able to process it all. You might not be able to process it all, but it's it's real. It's happening, whether I can process it or not. Tragedies, 
injustice, death, disaster, brokenness. I, I, even though I can't fully wrap my mind and heart around it, I can look at the world through my phone and in real life and say, man, the world is not how it was supposed to be. I feel it. And as a Jesus follower, we can click down even further because if you're a follower of Christ in the room today, you know that what we see in the physical world is actually just part of the story. There's actually way more going on in the spiritual realm than there is in the physical realm, and we can't even keep up what's going on in the physical realm. Fatigue. We're warring constantly about, around things we can see, but also around things we can't see, and that's what we're gonna wade into a little bit today. So. Paul said it to the church in Ephesus, a famous passage of scripture. You've probably heard about this idea. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. All that we see is not all that there is. There's more to the story, even if I can't keep up with what I see in the story. So if you're like me sometimes, I, I just forget about the spiritual part and I just focus on trying to process the physical. I, I dismiss sometimes the things that I know are happening around us. And, and sometimes if I'm honest, I, I, try to, I try to, with plausible explanation, make subjective what the word of God just said is extremely objective reality, that there is more going on even in this moment, Hope Church, in this room than we can physically see with our eyes. That's what we're gonna talk about today. One of my favorite books of all time, I'll tell you for years to come to read it over and over and over again. If I told you once, I'll tell you a thousand times to read The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. If you've never read it, put it on your reading list. C.S. Lewis wades into this mystery of the spiritual realm in this book. It's written in 1942, right in the middle of World War II. It's written from the perspective of a, of a demon named Screwtape who is writing to his demon protege nephew. It's a lot, I know, but his nephew Wormwood and Wormwood is following this Jesus follower around and Screwtape is basically giving him tips and tricks for how to take this Jesus follower out. It's not inspired of God, but it's a fascinating perspective about what this spiritual world could look like. I want us to read what C.S. Lewis says in the preface of the Screwtape letters. Here's, here's what he says. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils or demons or the spiritual world. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the they, by the way, are the demons or the devils. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. They don't care where you fall as long as you are really, really into them or you don't care about them at all. The reason that's important is because as we jump into our text today, I believe both are in the room. There are people that think what we're about to talk about is just crazy and some people that are way too entrenched in it. And I pray that the word of God and the authority of Jesus Christ would rule and reign in this place. So Mark chapter five, we're gonna pick up in verse one, but I wanna give you a little reminder of where we've been. We, we are right continuing the story. 
Jesus and his disciples are, are doing things around the world. And last week, we talked specifically over the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus. We said in the Greek, that word authority is the word, it's gonna be on the screen, exousia. It's a really important word. Exousia is the unquestioned authority that is tied to a person's position. Jesus last week and the next several weeks is exercising his exousia authority because of who he is. Last week, he shut up a raging hurricane. Chaos became calm in a moment because of his authority. And today we're gonna see dark and demonic chaos being cast away by that same authority. So Mark chapter five, we're gonna do some Bible study today, Hope Church. We are studying 20 verses out of the gospel of Mark chapter five. So here is the word of the Lord for us today. We're asking the spirit of God to use this word right now to change all of us. Mark chapter five, starting in verse one. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountainside, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, that's important. And the unclean spirits came out and under the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country and the people came to see what had just happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how, how he has, has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord for us today. What is going on in these verses? Starts off by saying, let's go to the other side. Remember last week, Jesus got in a boat and said, we're gonna get to the other side of this lake, this Sea of Galilee. It's a lake there in Jerusalem. And now we see they're at the other side. Mark shows us it's a place that he calls the country of the Gerasenes. It's a, a village east on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Most likely it's a Gentile town. This is important because that means these are not Jewish people. 
And it says immediately, by the way, every time you see that in the Gospel of Mark, go ahead and underline it. That's Mark's favorite word. He's always moving on. Immediately after disembarking from this boat, this, this man with an unclean spirit comes running out of the graveyard. Now, always want to remind us as a church to not read these stories in a sanitized way. This is a crazy situation. Remember, we don't know how long it was between when Jesus just calmed the storm and now they are on this new area of town. The disciples are probably still freaking out a little bit. Like, do you remember what just happened with that hurricane and now we're here and now as soon as they step foot on land, this, this wild man comes running out from the graveyard screaming. Oh, what does this mean that he has an unclean spirit? Simply put, when we see that in the scripture, this means that this man was possessed by a demon or what we'll learn, probably multiple demons. Now, I wanna be clear from the jump as we begin today, this is not a story primarily about demons or the darkness power of our enemy. This is primarily a story about the authority of Jesus Christ. But we see this all over Jesus's life, interacting with demonic forces seeing people possessed by demons. So I wanna, I wanna give us some framework for that as we begin today. I wanna give us some fast facts about demons and demonic forces, some guardrails, if you will, to remember as we navigate this story. They're gonna be on the screen. Here's the first one. Demons are real and dangerous. Demons are real and dangerous. We see from scripture, a demon can inhabit and take possession of a person. Now, this is really important, Jesus follower. Listen to me closely. If you are a follower of Jesus in the place, a demon cannot take possession of you. Why? Because you are already possessed by a spirit. It is the spirit of the living God. So you cannot be possessed. And that's good news today if you're a follower of Jesus. But we see from the scriptures People are possessed by demons. They're real and they're dangerous. We don't wanna dismiss them. But number two, demons are fallen angels and powerful spiritual beings. We don't have time to unpack all this right now, but scripture tells us the story of the Bible is there was a war in heaven and Satan, the leader of these demons, was cast out of heaven with lots of angels who are now demons. They are angels for the dark side, if you will, Star Wars fans. That happened. So now we see they are fallen angels and they seem to be very powerful. In this story, we saw chains being ripped apart. These are powerful spiritual beings. But here's number three, and this is very, very important. Demons are not autonomous. All the scary movies, all the depictions of demons would have you think that demons are running the show. Rest assured today, Hope Church, demons are not running the show. They are under the authority of the creator in heaven and earth. They, like their leader, Satan, are on a leash. They do not have ultimate authority. Jesus Christ alone has ultimate authority, and so they are not autonomous. Again, C.S. Lewis would help us. We don't wanna completely dismiss these, but we don't wanna be completely entrenched in them to think that they have all power and authority. We wanna be right in the middle, understanding some principles about them, but understanding their place under the authority, the exousia of God Almighty. So here's where we're going as we unpack these 20 verses. I wanna give you a sermon in a sentence. Here's where we're headed. 
there is a persistent enemy named Satan and all his minions who seek to destroy our lives. But he is under the authority of a powerful savior who seeks to deliver us. That's what we read in this story. We're gonna unpack that by looking at four realities as we make our way through the story. Here's the first one. The possession of a man. The possession of a man. In verses one through seven, we get the most complete picture of demon possession that we have in scripture. Specifically, as you take Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel alongside Mark's gospel, we get the most descriptive picture of demon possession that we have in all the scriptures. It's on your lap there, look at it. We see that this man has been possessed by a, for a long time. Actually, Luke chapter eight, verse 27 tells us he has been possessed for a long time. We don't know if that means months or maybe even years. You read it, you can see it there on your lap. The man wore no clothes. This is kind of a crazy scene. He was living like an animal. He was running around naked. He was not acting normal. The man lived among the decaying and the dead. He lived in the graveyards. This is important specifically for a lot of these good Jewish boys that were on the boat this is contrary to Jewish law, living among the dead and decaying, but it's also even for us Gentiles, most of us, this is a strange scene. This man had supernatural strength. We already talked about it, ripping chains apart. This man was tormented and self-destructive. He's crying out. It says he's, he's cutting himself with rocks. This man had uncontrollable behavior. The text told us no one could subdue him. And I want us to feel this for a minute. This is a heartbreaking scene. Some of you have seen people on the streets where you just go, man, this is a, this is a destitute situation. This is a heartbreaking scene. What the disciples, disciples are witnessing is a man who is clearly not well, a man who is clearly not in his right mind howling like a wild animal, running around, cutting himself with rocks. As I studied this text, some commentators think he's cutting himself with rocks as a way to release the demons, trying to just get these demonic forces out of him. Other commentators say, maybe he's just trying to end it all. He can't take it anymore. And so he's actually cutting himself with rocks in an attempt of suicide. This is a heartbreaking Scene. But as you read this story, I want us to see this is actually a picture of what the very real enemy desires to do to every single one of us. I want to show you a few scriptures where we see the enemy's tactics. As you read these, I want you to hear and feel this is the enemy's game plan for you, Hope Church. Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, verse 10, a thief kills only to steal and to kill and destroy. The thief is Satan and his minions, just like we see in this man's life to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus continues to tell us in John 8 that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. Finally, 1 Peter 5, your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. This man's life is a vivid picture of the game plan of Satan for you and for me. Total control, total destruction. Let's continue on our story. Verse seven, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. This man with an unclean spirit 
sees Jesus from afar and comes sprinting down. This is so, so important. It says he falls down. The Greek word for falls down is the word proskuneo. It's a word that literally means pay homage or to worship. You need to hear this, Hope Church. This man did not trip and fall. He knew exactly what he was doing, and his response in the king of glory's presence was to bow down. It don't matter how many demons were in him. They bowed to the king of glory. That was his initial response. Before there was a a conversation, there was reverence. Again, while we're on the topic of C.S. Lewis, it reminds me of my favorite scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you've ever seen that movie, recommend you watch it with your family. There's this scene where the white witch, who's the depiction of our enemy, she walks into the village and everyone's scared. The white witch walks in with all her pomp and circumstance and all her minions, just like we see in this story. And Jesus, who is the depiction of Aslan, walks out. And there's this moment where where the white witch gets a little gusto. She gets a little passionate. She yells at Aslan, how do I know you'll keep your promise? And in a moment, Aslan roars. And what does the white witch do? She sits down without a word. Exousia. In his presence, every single spiritual force bows. There is no option. There is no gusto. There is no flexing when you're in the king of glory's presence. Then he says something beautiful. Jesus, son of the most high God. Now this is actually kind of funny. For I don't even know how long now, Jesus has been trying to convince his disciples of this very thing. Over and over again, showing them miracles and teach. I mean, Jesus is trying to convince these dense disciples, don't be too hard on them, we're like them, by the way, exactly who he is. And now here is this man who he's never met, crying out for everyone to hear exactly who he is, Jesus, son of the most high God. The reason is, is because although this man had never met Jesus, the spirits in this man knew exactly who he was. And they totally understood his his authority over them. And I think we need to pause for just a moment and have a discussion about this reality that demons in the spiritual world know exactly who Jesus is. Before I became a Christian in high school, I remember having conversations with my friends about the existence of God. Maybe you've had these conversations where people ask the question, do you believe in God? In fact, I went on Google this week and just Googled that. There's a fascinating societal kind of study to kind of see lots of YouTube videos and blog posts about this idea of believing in God. What that means is, do you believe that God exists? That's the question that people are asking when they say, do you believe in God? And I need us to know, Hope Church, there is no debate in the heavenlies today about whether or not God exists. There are no atheists in the spiritual world. Believing in the existence of something is extremely different than trusting that something for salvation. That's what we need to dive into for just a moment. Jesus, or James, the brother of Jesus, wrote a letter to the church in Jerusalem. We know it as the book of James. And he was actually unpacking this idea of of different kinds of faith. There's a, a faith in the existence of something, and then there's a saving faith. Some of you have read this in the book of James. Look what he says in James chapter 2, verse 19. Maybe sarcastically, by the way. He says, you believe that God is one. You do well. 
Even the demons believe, and don't forget it, and shudder. Even the demons believe. Listen, there is no such thing as an atheistic demon. They know God is real. They actually, as we read scripture, probably have good theology. And this might make some of us uncomfortable. Demons know the truth. It says that you believe that that God is one. Demons would be monotheistic. What does that mean? They believe that God is one. They would even probably understand what we know to be true, that the God is one in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They might actually have Trinitarian theology. We know that Satan knows the word of God. The leader of these demons, he, he quotes the word of God to Jesus in the desert. Maybe they would even be orthodox in their beliefs. They believe all the right things, but none of these realities save them. You see, what you know in your head is very different than believing it and living it out in your heart and life. The reason that's important is because I believe there are people that maybe even come to church here every single week that have a faith that looks strangely like the faith of the demons. You know God is real. You would never say to anybody in your life, I'm I'm an atheist. You know that God is real. You would even say, I'm a monotheist. I believe in one God. I don't believe in multiple gods. And you would even maybe say, I know that God is one in three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You would even say, I'm Trinitarian. You might know some of the word of God and even be able to quote some from memory. You would probably be orthodox in your belief system. But in and of themselves, none of those realities save you. Do you believe in God is not the same question as are you a follower of Jesus? Kent Hughes said it this way. Real faith is more than mental assent to truth. It is a belief that involves the heart. And this sentence is really, really hard. He said, tragically, hell will have its share of people who are monotheistic, Trinitarian, Orthodox, and lost. There's no denying that Jesus is real in the spiritual world. Back to the story. This man knows who Jesus is. He calls it out, leads us to our second reality, the authority of Jesus. I love that we are talking about this. We have been, and we will continue. This is magnifying Christ above everything. We've been singing about the power and the glory and the dominion of Jesus Christ already in our service, and we see it right here in our story. Jesus tells him, Come out. And then he asks them his name. This is kind of strange and may make some of us uncomfortable, but Jesus talks to the demon. This points to the reality that demonic forces in our world are not unintelligible forces, but they are intelligent beings. He talks to them. He says, what's your name? They say, legion. Now, legion is actually a military term that would, that would describe a Roman, a Roman cohort of five to 10,000, maybe even more Roman soldiers. This, this man just said, we don't know all that it means. There are many, many, many demons inside of me. We don't know how many, but there could be thousands. We are legions. Again, there could be multiple demons. There could be one for every pig that they will be cast into in just a moment. We don't know all that this means, but that's not the point of the story is how many demons were in this man. The point of the story is what happens next. 
Look at it in your lap. Twice in this section, we see this man begging Jesus. There's a submission. Once he begs them to not be sent out into nature, but to into the pigs. Please send us into the pigs. And then what is pigs? What does Jesus do? He gives them permission. This is authority. You don't give permission unless you have the authority to do so. And he does. Gives them permission. Again, I want us to see over and over again, the point of this story is not the demons. It's Jesus's complete and unrivaled authority over the demonic. And this is a huge encouragement to us as Jesus followers. I prayed over this weekend that Jesus followers would come into this place and we would realize, man, we don't have to be scared anymore. We live in a dark and broken world with a lot of demonic stuff happening, but we as followers of Jesus do not have to be afraid because we serve and we have in us as a sign, as, a, as an inheritance of our relationship with God, the Holy Spirit of God, which seals us for the day of redemption. We don't have to be afraid of what's out in the world because of who's inside of us. It reminded me this week as I studied, I've told you before, I was a very, very small kid growing up. Really, really tiny kid. And in fact, I, I got picked on a little bit because of my size. And there'd be times I'd be on the playground and some punks on the playground would be kicking me around and messing with me. But I learned over my years as a small kid that I had a little tool in my back pocket. Tool in my back pocket was that my stepdad looked very, very similar to this man right here on the screen, the one and only Hulk Hogan. I'm telling you what, he'll be right over there at the 1030 service. He's a little older now, doesn't look quite like Hulk Hogan. But back in the day, he had the handlebar mustache, the long hair, the bandana. And I would tell those punks on the playground, listen, you don't understand, my dad is Hulk Hogan. Better watch out. So I got a little swagger and a little, a little confidence in me because I know, listen, you don't know who's picking me up at school this, today after school. You don't know who's gonna to roll up on this playground. You better watch out. My dad is Hulk Hogan. And sure enough, whenever they saw my stepdad, Tim, they'd be like, whoa, he really looks like Hogan. He don't look like Hulk Hogan. He is Hulk Hogan. I really played into this. And I had some confidence because of this. Listen, Jesus, Father, I want us to see this. We can have confidence today. There may be some punks on the playground of life, some demonic forces hitting at you in every way, but your dad isn't Hulk Hogan. He's way bigger and better and badder than Hulk Hogan. The maker of heaven and earth is the one that doesn't only is for you and is around you, but is in you as a follower of Jesus. You don't have to be afraid of the punks on the playground of the spiritual world because of who your dad is. We have to press into that and trust that. And not only will he take care of the demonic forces, he already has. Look at it in Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two, you were dead because this is, the, this is the gospel of Jesus, by the way. The good news as followers of Jesus, you were dead because of your sin, because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. Some of you need to, to preach this to yourself over what happened last night or this week. He forgave and canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. You don't have to do anything to be saved today. And this way, how did, what did he do? He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Listen, if you don't know Jesus today, I pray that you would hear 
that there has already been somebody who took care of the bully called sin, got it out of the way and disarmed it so that you can walk in the freedom that you were called to walk in. That's who God is. That's who our dad is. Back to the story. In a strange encounter, let's just be honest, that's what it is. It's okay to read your Bible and say, God, that is kind of weird, but I trust you, okay? That's what happens. Jesus permits these demons to enter these 2,000 pigs that are just minding their own business, grazing there on the mountainside. We don't really know why this is. If you find a commentator that says, this is exactly the spiritual principle we can draw from this, I think they are crazy. It's hard to know for sure, for sure, why Jesus did this, but here are a couple options for us to ponder. Maybe one of the reasons Jesus did this is because they wanted, he wanted everyone there to see and everyone for all eternity in the word of God to see exactly how destructive these demons really were. Because as soon as they left this man, these pigs ran immediately into the ocean. He wanted everyone around them to see the, the destruction and the carnage that these demons were raging on inside this man, maybe for years. Or maybe it's because this is a symbol. For those who are unfamiliar with the Jewish faith, pigs are not a welcomed animal. Unclean. Don't touch them, don't eat them. So get this, Jesus takes the unclean spirit and puts it in the unclean swine and does away with it. Maybe it's a symbol. We don't know the true meaning of the demons being sent into the pigs, but again, think about the reality of this moment. This was a crazy scene. Have you ever been on a farm and even seen a couple pigs and they're squealing and they're dirty and they're all over the place? This is a couple pigs. We just read 2,000 demon-possessed pigs. This is crazy. And as soon as these spirits go into the pigs, they run headlong off the cliff into the ocean. And again, the disciples are going to this day, couldn't get crazier. We see the response of the people. The herdsmen, poor guys, they run off to tell their bosses, oh my gosh, they will never believe this. Run off to tell their bosses, the people come back, and let's pick it up in verse 15. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had, who had, had the legion, see, he, he had the legion, he doesn't anymore, it's gone, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Again, Rest assured, this is a financial catastrophe for these people. 2,000 livestock, no telling how much money that meant. So on one hand, they had a financial catastrophe on their hands, but then on the other hand, they had this man that maybe for years been running around like a wild animal, cutting himself with rocks, screaming at the top of his lungs naked, and now he's clothed and in his right mind, quiet. This is a, this is a paradox. There's a financial catastrophe to deal with, but there's also a miracle in our midst. And I don't want us to be too hard on these people. I want you to think of how you and I would respond. I don't know what 2,000 pigs and that financial catastrophe looks like for you and your bank account, but just imagine financial ruin. But at the same time, in the same moment, you're finding out about that, you see a miracle of God in your midst. What would you and I do? 
how would we respond to this paradox? These people decide to ask Jesus to leave. Notice, they were very okay with living with a demon-possessed man in their midst, but as soon as Jesus messed with their profit margins, they said, please leave. Jesus won't force his promise on them, or his presence on them, rather. Honestly, if you're here today and you don't know him, Jesus won't force his presence on you. So he asked them to leave, or he, he, they asked him to leave, so he does. Leads us to our final reality the testimony of a changed life. The now healed man begs to come with Jesus. I mean, imagine this, guys, you have no idea. You just changed my life forever. Can I be a part of your crew? Can I jump back in this boat with you and go wherever you go? I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus has other plans for him. And he tells us what those plans are in verse 19. He says, no, you're not coming with me. Here's what I want you to do. Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away to begin to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And don't miss it, everyone marveled. Remember, there were some disciples in a boat last week marveling. Now we're moving on. As this guy tells his story, everyone marvels. The marveling is growing. People are seeing what's true about Jesus. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, saved this man from his terrible situation. Don't miss it. Now he's sending this man as a megaphone of what he's experienced. Go and tell your friends, families, coworkers, everybody, just tell them what God's done for you. Tell them how much mercy he's had on you. I hope you see it, follower of Jesus. The same is true of our lives. Jesus desires for us to be people who are megaphones of his grace in our lives. Go home to your family and friends, to your school, to your workplace. Go and just tell people what God has done for you, how much mercy he has had over your life. To the end, that everyone would marvel. This is where I want us to see us in this story. Read this story, pull out some principles about how we can have confidence over the demonic forces, confidence over the spiritual realm because of who our God is. But I want us to see us in this story. Like this man, we were hopelessly and helplessly enslaved to sin, living in the graveyard of our own devices, not in our right mind, in bondage to this world and in desperate need like this man was of freedom. So what does our God do? Our God doesn't just say, hey, be free. Instead, the good news of Jesus is that he voluntarily takes our place. He places himself in the shackles and chains that would eventually lead to him being nailed to a cross. And just like this demon-possessed man was crying out unintelligibly, Jesus is on the cross for your and my sin, crying out unintelligibly. He is not driven to live in the graveyards. In fact, he is killed and he is driven to live in the tombs, to die and be placed in the tomb. It's over. The story that we already sang so beautifully today is that all glory, dominion, power, and authority belong to Jesus. And he rose again from the dead, proving to us now that like this man, we can be clean and free and be sent out 
into our cities and into our homes and into our workplaces, simply telling the story of what Jesus Christ has done for us. This is the gospel. And I want you to miss that Jesus didn't say, but hey, before you're looking kind of rough, bro, <laughs> before you go back, can you clean yourself up a little bit to make it look a little better? Now, I believe Jesus intentionally didn't do that. Remember, this guy's probably still bleeding and scabbed up from all the rocks he cut himself with. Jesus says, right now, just go. Because I don't want you to be cleaned up, a, a cleaned up version. That's not the testimony you have. The testimony you have is you are demon-possessed, living among the graves, cut up all over the place. The, the, the testimony you have is just as you were, I saved you. Go tell that story. When people ask about the scars, when people ask about the cuts, tell them, this is where I was, and now because of God, this is where I am. Your story is your story so that your story can be used as a platform of God's grace. Don't try to clean yourself up before you tell it. Just like this man did, just tell the things that God has done for you, how he has mercy on you. I love how Chuck Swindoll said it in regards to this man and our story. Your scars bear witness to the reviving, restoring power of Christ. He turns those shameful marks into emblems of honor. Each can become an opportunity to glorify God and influence others to find the healing and dignity you received. Follower of Jesus, what has God done for you? Whatever he's done for you, would you use it as a platform to say, you have no idea of the power and authority of my God. It had nothing to do with me. I mean, look at me. Imagine this guy. He's not walking in there with all of his confidence and swagger. He's walking in there a changed man because of the grace of God, and he's given him all the glory he deserves. And that's what's changing people's lives that are making them marvel. Maybe you're here today, and you're a follower of Christ, and this is just a word for you to, to use your whole story. Scars and all to tell the mercy and grace of Jesus. But man, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I hope you have heard of the power and the authority and the goodness and the grace of God. This God who's so big and strong and mighty to where demons bow at his presence is the same God who voluntarily took your and my place on the cross, subjected himself to human hands of murder, all so that we could be in a relationship with him, be changed forever. This is a crazy story. But the grace of God and the gospel is a crazy story. And it's true. Maybe you're here today and you are under the burden of addiction. You are under the burden of envy or greed or materialism in your life. You, you got a whole bunch of things that you'd like to be freed from. Listen, this man could not free himself. The only one who could free him was Jesus, and he did when he begged him for mercy. Maybe today, if you're not a follower of Christ today, you need to beg God for mercy. And I'm just here to tell you, based on the authority of Scripture, he'll give it to you. He's done everything necessary to save you from your sin. And some of you need to come up here in just a moment and talk to a pastor and say, I, like the wind and the waves last week, I'm ready to bow down. Like the demonic forces of the world right now all over the globe are bowing to Jesus and his authority. You're saying, I want to be like that and I want to bow. Submit to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who gives freedom.
So however you wanna respond today, we're gonna have pastors up here. If you wanna just pray at this altar and just posture yourself in humility and just have some time with God. You wanna pray over something going on in your life, we would love the opportunity to pray for you. Or maybe you're here and you see the freedom that Jesus offers and you're saying, I don't know him yet, but I want that freedom. We would love to have a conversation with you. Jesus, you are good, you are God. Holy Spirit, whatever you desire to do in this moment, we trust you. We surrender to you and we ask you to move and work in whatever way you please. In Jesus' name.